Um, Anne should be on her way back in, but I'm not seeing her yet. Yes, there she is. Hi, Anne, you're, you're, you're back in. I've just done a very um, mangled welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hand to you now to, to do the rest of the welcome and get the proper notices. Thanks, Anne. Um, yes, in a moment or two, in case you haven't mentioned it, uh, Freya and Sarah will be lighting our Advent candle. And if you have an Advent candle there, please do the same uh, when we light it together. Then at uh, 7 p.m. this evening, our evening reflection will be led by the Reverend David Sinclair, an old friend, former minister of Wellington Church. And he has suggested that we have a large candle and three stones or pebbles at the ready if we want to join in the liturgy that he'll be leading this evening at 7 p.m. And then, as Katrina has probably already mentioned, thank you to everyone who's already donated to our Christian Aid uh, Christmas Appeal via our Just Giving page. As you know, it closes at the end of the month, which is Tuesday evening. But if you'd like your name to be included in the December key of sending greetings to everyone, you would need to make your donation by tomorrow evening at the latest. And I'll check there before I put the key to bed. Then, you may remember that last year we held a 15-minute Zoom reflection every weekday evening at 9pm. And this year we're going to be offering the same again. An opportunity to gather together for just 15 minutes at 9pm, Monday to Friday, during Advent. Born Among Us will use music, images, poems and prayers from around the world that connect with the themes of Advent and Christmas. Look out for an email from me tomorrow with the Zoom link. We'll use the same Zoom link every weekday evening throughout Advent. So that's 9pm starting tomorrow evening for just 15 minutes. And then in family news, um, can I ask you please to remember Margaret and Graham in your prayers? Margaret fell into a deep sleep uh, on Tuesday of this week and has not really wakened since. Um, Graham is with us this morning because although he's been able to visit her every day this week, he's been advised not to go in today because the ward has an outbreak of the winter bug. So Graham, please be assured that we'll be remembering Margaret and yourself and Stuart and Pirio and all the family this week. And I do hope that you will be able to visit again, but I think you're very wise to be cautious, Graham, uh, because we need you to be well. 
I think that's all our announcements, so I'm going to hand over now to Freya and Sarah to light our Advent candle. As we gather for worship, we join together to light our Advent candles. The first candle represents God's people throughout the ages, who recognised God in the world and trusted in his promises. We have lit a candle for the past, giving thanks for God's people of every age who were watching and waiting for his coming. We have lit a candle for the present, giving thanks for those who are watching and waiting today, seeking God wherever he comes to our world. as we gather let us pray god of all times and seasons in this the darkest season of the northern hemisphere when days are short and nights are long we come to you the source of light and life god who comes to us in all seasons in this season of advent when days are full of things to be done, we come to you seeking rest and refreshment. God, who enters our world in Jesus, in these weeks of preparation, when we recall the stories that shape our lives, we come to you seeking insight and inspiration. God, who is always with us, in this moment, when we meet for worship and prayer, come to us, we pray. Amen. I'm reading Lord Prayers in Spanish. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea su nombre. Hágase su voluntad tanto en el cielo como en la tierra. Perdone nuestros pecados y nuestros pecadores, así como nosotros perdonamos nuestros pecadores. Denos el pan de cada día, no nos dejes caer en la tentación, mas líbranos de todo mal. Amén.
Reading from Jeremiah chapter 33. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Thank you, Paul. All the Bible readings we're hearing this morning are taken from the Revised Common Lectionary for the first Sunday of Advent, because that is the day upon which we find ourselves. Hopefully this week, most people will have received a grey envelope through the post and a small number of people will have received an email. If you happen to have that to hand, that's great. If you don't, it honestly doesn't matter. If you'd like to open it, you can take out all the contents. There's uh, nothing to be sort of delayed gratification this time. So um, do feel free to open it and take everything out. Um, you will hopefully find a number of sheets of paper. If you're a household with younger children, there will also be a book in there. But for adult households or almost adult households, it's just some pieces of paper and a couple of objects. You should find in there, hopefully, a golden star or possibly two golden stars in, in some cases. A couple of sheets of paper with some symbols on them. And then a group of sheets of paper stapled together with um, pointers for each day. This year, our Advent activity that we can do if we would like to at home is based on the Jesse tree. The Jesse tree is one of these many customs, the origins of which are a bit lost in time, but it seems to go back at least until medieval times and was often depicted in stained glass windows. In a time when many, maybe most people couldn't read, the visual arts were a very important way of teaching and stained glass windows were often used to portray Bible stories or truths about faith. What the Jesse tree tries to do um, is, in a symbolic way, take us through from the creation story all the way through Jesus's family tree until we eventually arrive with Jesus just before Christmas. So each day of Advent, you will find you've got a symbol that you can cut out if you wish, colour in if you wish, look at whatever you prefer to do. And for those who find it helpful, there's a Bible reading and some pointers and some questions to think about. It's completely up to you what you do with it. But this idea of the family tree of Jesus seems like a good place for us to start our thoughts this year um, as we journey towards Christmas in Advent. So this is just one of the many opportunities we have to reflect as we go forwards. So let's now just listen for God speaking to us in some words of scripture. Thank you. Reading from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for 
I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever it is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. One of the most popular television programmes over a number of years, I think, has been a series called Who Do You Think You Are? Each week, each episode, somebody in the public eye is taken on a journey of discovery through their family tree. And sometimes they might find they're descended from royalty or nobility. Other times they might find that their forebears were wealthy landowners Somebody, I recall, discovered that they had a forebear who was a slave owner. This week, I saw somebody whose forebears included Huguenots who had to flee from France. Other people have found they had forebears who were slaves or who were persecuted groups. Sometimes somebody discovers a skeleton in the cupboard, a relative forebear who had a colourful past, shall we say. Of course, they choose these people very carefully. They make sure that it's going to be something of interest to the viewer. Sometimes you hear a person in the public eye say, well, I, I was asked, and then they discover they didn't have any interesting ancestors, which actually seems a shame because ordinary lives are not uninteresting because they're ordinary. All of us are 
unique and precious. And quite a lot of us have an interest in discovering more about our family history. I have a very half-hearted attempt at a, a family tree. I'm using Ancestry. Other websites are available. But recently I succumbed to a long-held temptation to do the DNA test that they offer to discover a little bit more about where my forebears might have come from. Now, I say this with a degree of caution because the reliability of these tests is sometimes disputed. And of course, for good reason, some people will absolutely not want to go anywhere near these, these, these DNA tests, particularly people who, whose forebears have been persecuted groups. So I totally understand that. But I was interested to discover that I'm, as I expected, a real hodgepodge. Apparently, 43% of my DNA comes from England and Northwestern Europe, so France, Germany, Holland, Belgium, those kinds of places. 29% of my DNA, as I expected, is European Jewish. 12% comes from Scotland, so apparently I'm an eighth Scottish by DNA. That's definitely a bonus. 8% comes from Sweden and Denmark, 7% from Wales, and I even manage 1% from Ireland, which is quite low, I understand, for people in, in these islands, but a very interesting mix of DNA. And actually, if you do it with Ancestry and you, or you are a member, it will suggest people who might be related to you. And I was kind of relieved to discover that one of my cousins on my mum's side and one of my cousins on my dad's side have done the DNA and thankfully we matched uh, my Jewish side through the Jewishness and my English side through the Englishness. But hey, hey. Why am I saying any of that? Well, I think the theme we're using for our Advent candles this year very much focuses on people rather than the, than the we sometimes do hope, joy, peace and love. But this year it's very much a people focus. Who do we think we are? Who are our forebears and what's their story? For well, three of the world's great faiths, Christianity, Judaism and Islam, the answer to that question takes us back to an old man and his equally elderly wife. We go back to Abram. We call ourselves, don't we, people of the book or the Abrahamic faiths. This elderly man, along with his wife and his household, were called by God to go on a journey to somewhere that I will show you. They didn't know where they were going. And it was a long journey and they went to various places and there were various challenges, some of which actually don't make for the most edifying of reading. But now we meet him, elderly and childless, having a conversation with God. And God says to him, look up at the night sky, look at the stars, and can you count them? Well, of course he can't. That's just a ridiculous thing to say. But God says to him, you'll have more children even than this. So far, so good. But if we were to read on in that Genesis story, frankly, it puts EastEnders, River City and Coronation Street into, into the shade in terms of a soap opera kind of a story. Abram's firstborn, Ishmael, along with his mother, Hagar, are rejected. When he does have a child with his wife, Sarah, 
God tells him to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And only at the last minute is that called off. And then after Sarah dies, Abram marries again. And with his second wife, Keturah, he has another six sons, Zimran, Joksan, Madan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And these sons go on to be the, the fathers of several different nations. According to the Genesis account, Abraham lived to the age of 175. Whether that's literal or figurative, frankly, doesn't matter. But what struck me when I reread it this week is that Isaac and Ishmael come together to bury their father. That kind of apparent reconciliation is something that I don't think I've noticed, at least not recently. As I say, I don't know if that story is meant to be seen as historical or whether it's largely mythical. But what it does do is identify Abraham or Abram as the father of many nations. So all of these children then are sons of Abraham, children of Abraham, daughters of Abraham. They are all people of God. And so that song that some of us learned in Sunday school and some of us learned as a rugby club song, Father Abraham has many sons, brackets, daughters, brackets, children, has a truth to it. We are all children of Abraham. We are all children of God. And that's really struck me this week as I've watched the news. Because I am a child of Abraham, a child of God. And so is everyone on this Zoom call. And so is the desperate refugee who steps into a small boat to try to cross a busy shipping lane. And so is the lifeboat volunteer who puts their life at risk to try to rescue them when that boat gets into difficulty. And so is the person who carries the lifeless body of a child away from a beach. And so is the driver of the bus who transports cold, wet, frightened refugees hundreds of miles to a reception centre. And so is the hotel cleaner who prepares the rooms. And so is the home office official who signs the papers that will determine what happens next. And so is the government minister who decides policies and practices that have to be followed. And so is the news reporter who announces it or puts it on a website for somebody to read around the world. And so is the angry person who says that they should go back where they came from. Because every human being on the earth is a child of God. Everyone, in some sense, is a descendant of Abraham. Every single life matters equally in the sight of the one who loved creation into being and who entered it in order to save it from the consequences of human sin and finitude. 
Who do you think you are? Whatever our own personal human story, we and every other person are 100% the children of God. And even if we never know how, our stories are interconnected. Counting stars is a futile task. You just can't do it. But one thing about counting stars is it's, it's impersonal. It doesn't affect my feelings. I'm just counting objects. And I can't help wondering if there's a danger, for me at least, when I hear the news that I start to see people as objects rather than as humans, because there are just so many of them, I can't count them. I don't know them. I don't know anything about them. And so it's really easy to put people into groups that I can find a label for. Something that actually objectifies them and stereotypes them and helps me to say, well, these ones are like me and therefore probably okay. And those are not like me. So they're either unimportant or they're not okay, or I can ignore them. I can, and I do work hard with language. I try to keep up to date with which terms and phrases are less pejorative, though always imperfect. But it can become overwhelming. And sometimes, frankly, it would just be easier to give up. There's nothing new in saying that. There's nothing we don't already know. And one of the uncomfortable truths we each face every single day is how do we best employ such energy and resources as we do have? How do we choose with which causes to engage and where to focus our prayers when we can't do everything, of course we can't. But we can all do something, however small that may be. It seems very likely that the little church in Thessalonica were the recipients of the oldest piece of Christian literature that is still extant. That first letter is thought by many scholars to be the oldest extant piece of Christian writing. And they lived in a really difficult environment. It was an environment so hostile that the missionaries who had found their, their church had left because it wasn't safe for them to stay there. But it is also clear in the little bit that we heard how much those missionaries, Paul, Silas and Timothy, love that little church. And they express their prayers for that little church. And they say, we pray that your love would increase. In fact, we pray that your love would overflow for each other and for everyone, for all people. I think it would be reasonable to suggest that we could reword that something along these lines. 
Start where you are. Love fiercely and love generously those with whom you come into contact each day. The people in your household. The people who are your work colleagues or your school or college or university colleagues. Your church community. Your friends. As I've thought about that this week, I have been reminded that it's kind of easy for me to slip into a nice, comfortable, middle class kind of approach to this. It says, let's just be nice. Let's just go for what feels warm and fuzzy and and comfortable. But that isn't necessarily what love is all about, is it? And it doesn't make a change in a world that is broken and bruised and battered and where bad things happen. True love is quite tough and it allows us to grow up. It allows us to mess up. It allows us to challenge and to be challenged. It allows us to flourish. And I'm actually really grateful for those who love me enough that when I'm wrong, or out of line, that they will tell me so. And I'm grateful that when they do that and I get cross, and sometimes I do, they still love me and they still tell me. Because that love wants the best for me. And those I truly love myself, I will encourage and I will support, and I will love continually, even when sometimes I'm convinced that they're wrong, or that they've messed up, or that they're not really listening to what they need to be listening to. This love that the Thessalonian church are called to live is the 1 Corinthians love, the love that is resilient and forgiving, empowering, encouraging, and liberating. The love of God that wants us all to flourish. But I think this same love also allows us to name and call out that which is wrong more widely. If I truly love my neighbour, who and I love myself, my neighbour who is in that little boat, or my neighbour who is in Holyrood or Westminster, then that will affect the way I live my life. That will affect the things that I do. I think the mystery of this reality that everybody is a child of God or a descendant of Abraham is that we are all interconnected wherever we are. And I think that has to affect the decisions I make, that we make, that together we make each day. And I also know that I can't sit with that too long because it blows my mind. It can become too big. It can become as impossible as trying to count the stars. Which is why I think we're called to start where we are with those we meet each day, with those who share our homes, with those who share our work or our education, 
with those we meet in the shops, with those we meet on the bus or on the train. One of the worship resources I use at the moment is called Lectio 365, and each day we are invited to pray that Jesus will enable us to be kind to those we meet. I think that is something that is able to be done in the midst of all the mess and the muddle. And I know that that isn't a nice, neat sermon, and I know it doesn't have a nice wrapped up ending, but we live in a messy and complicated world. So we stand alongside the refugee and the asylum seeker. We stand alongside the people in the refuge for those who have been victims of domestic violence. We stand alongside those whose lives are worst impacted by climate chaos. And we, with them, join the heart cry of the ancients as we say, come, oh come, Emmanuel.
let us pray. I'm starting our prayers this morning with a daily Advent prayer by Henry Newen. Lord Jesus, Master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet places to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people walking in darkness yet seeking the light. To you we say, come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we enter this Advent season, we identify with those people of old who were in a time of waiting. We wait for the day when those who feel oppressed from war, famine, poverty, dictatorship, climate change, racism, abuse, slavery, COVID-19, find peace and freedom. We wait for the day when those we pray for come out from the darkness of not knowing you into the light of your salvation. We pray for all leaders of the nations that the light of your glorious kingdom will shine bright so that they will be attracted to the light. Help us this Advent time not to be so busy that we lose sight of the reason behind the season. This week, we pray for our church family, remembering all those on the Zoom tech team, Betty, Graham, Ali and family, Lena and George, Talash, Yang Yang, Antoinette and Spencer, Bayard and family, Christine in France, Nicola and family on Butte, Joy, our BMS mission partner in Nepal. And we pray for Margaret and Graham and hold them in our thoughts. The Baptist Union of Scotland ask us to remember our brothers and sisters at the following churches this week praying for the trustee board as they discern various matters regarding the governance of the union and good stewardship of their resources. St Ninian's Community Church give thanks to God for Zoom and the way they have been able to use it to meet together each Sunday and for a varied midweek programme throughout the past year. They have recently resumed in-person services and look to continue to reach out to their local community. Stenhouse Baptist Church is loving worshipping together again and they are grateful to have their new outreach worker Mark. Please pray for their connect group working with those in recovery and who have come out of prison. This week the BMS ask us to pray for gender justice. We pray for those missionaries who are working in areas where women are marginalised and whose voices are not heard 
and for those who advocate on behalf of women. We pray for women in leadership and secular settings, that they would be role models and be an influence for change in their society. We bring all our prayers, those spoken aloud and those in private, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Abraham and Sarah, as you call us to go where we do not know, journey with us. God of Hagar and Ishmael, assure us that you will never reject us for who we are. God of Keturah and her children, assure us that you know us and name us, even when we feel forgotten. God of all people who loves us with a never-ending love, bless us, we pray, with the courage, tenacity, 
joy and hope to live our lives for you. Amen.